As we bow in prayer right where we are, I just want you to repeat these words after me. He is worthy, and we are needy. Let's say that together again. He is worthy, and we are needy. That is the the rhythm of worship that's found throughout the scriptures, that is the rhythm of prayer that you cannot escape as you read the Bible, particularly as you read the Psalms and similar passages. Two things are always true. God is worthy of our worship and our praise, and we are needy people, always in need of his help. We never outgrow the need to to draw near to Jesus. We never grow beyond, we never mature beyond our own fallenness. Apart from him, we really can do nothing but with him, Wow, amazing things. Transformation is possible. You know, I was thinking about that this morning, really, that one of the promises that ties those two truths together, that God is worthy and we are needy, at least it does to my mind, and maybe it will for yours as well, is John 15, 13, when it says, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one would lay his life down for his friends. That alone is enough to say he's worthy, that he would lay his life down. It's also the clearest evidence we'd ever need of we'd ever want of how needy we are. And Father, we thank you this morning that we worship a one, that these songs that we are singing, that, that the truths that we will be proclaiming, Father, they are, we are offering them to the one who laid down his life for us and, and said that, that when we come and trust in him, we are called the friends of God. Father, what more could we ask for? What more could we ever even dream of? Lord Jesus, we believe you're worthy of all worship and praise. We We believe that you are available to us at any moment's notice. We know, Father, those of us who've trusted Christ, we know that our lives have been changed. We may not be what we want to be yet, but we certainly aren't what we used to be once upon a time. And and all of that is due to the the work and to the love, the steadfast love of Jesus. Father, we we meet today, we've been reminded already that this is an important weekend in our nation, Lord. We we have Memorial Day tomorrow where we remember those who, who laid down their lives for us. Father, in, in wars, in battles, and, and Father, one of the freedoms that they secured and that that maintains for us is the fact that we can worship you freely here today. And Father, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for many, many reasons. And, and I would imagine even in just the group that we're here and, and scattered watching today, there are some whose loved ones did make that ultimate sacrifice. And Father, we thank you that there were those who were willing to lay their lives down for us. So among many other things, we could sing loudly and joyfully the name of Jesus together and study your word in freedom and in peace. But Father, we know that there was a greater love than that. We know that the greatest love that has ever been shown is the love of Jesus Christ. As we've acknowledged already He's the one who laid his life down for us, the worthy for the unworthy, the sinless for the sinful, the perfect for the broken. (laughs) Father, we couldn't be more thankful for that today. Father, as we have sung worship, and oh, how we love to sing your praise together. Lord, I trust that it's been a sweet sound in your ear, Lord, as we've combined our voices and lifted our hearts to you, and now we want to open our hearts to you. And Father, we even need your help with that. We're needy in that way. For you to open our hearts and, and quiet our thoughts and give us the ability to look to and to listen to, not to the preacher, but to Jesus. Father, I pray that as we go about this exercise, that I would decrease, that Christ would increase, and the Spirit would work in powerful ways among us. Holy Spirit, we invite you as always today to guide us in truth, to guard us from error, to deliver us from distraction, and to help us see Jesus. 
Father, may we see Jesus clearly this morning as we go to your word. May we see Jesus only this morning as we go to your word. And Father, when we go out of this place to whatever the day and the week ahead holds, Father, I pray we'll do it with renewed hope, renewed joy. Father, a deep sense of commitment and expectation that a life lived with Jesus is the best life of all. Father, we love you. We thank you. Jesus, we ask all of these things in your precious and wonderful name. As all God's people said together, amen. Amen. You may be seated if you're standing. And if you're at home, you can shift in your chair, whatever it is that, uh, that you want to do. But it's good to be together in this way again today. Um, I, I don't know about you. I, I think it probably helped that the sun was out this morning. But Man, I just, I woke up ready for church. I woke up ready to be with all of you, to sing God's praise, to study his word, and, and I'm excited for, for what we're going to be doing here today in God's word. So with that in mind, I want you to take out your Bible, but I don't want you to turn to the book of James, as you may have anticipated. Some of you already know where I'm going with this, but others have not. Instead, I want you to leave James by the wayside for today, and instead I want you to meet me in Psalm 1. I want you to meet me today in the first of the Psalms, which I'm going to read in its entirety in a moment. It's just six verses. And then I'll, uh, I'll do my best to explain to you why on earth we are here, rather than finishing out James chapter 3. Psalm 1. If this sounds familiar, it's actually because I quoted it last week. Um, and, uh, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll talk some more about that in a moment. But whether you're familiar with Psalm 1 or not, it it really is. It, it's not just one of 150 psalms. It's the gateway to God's book of praise, and it's solid in every way. I love this psalm. Uh, I, I love spending time in this psalm, and I hope that by the time we're done today that, that I've done a decent enough job that you uh, have fallen in love with this psalm too. So with that said, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6, here's what the Bible says. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, God's law, he meditates day and night. He, she, such a person will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers." The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the reason we're here in Psalm 1 this morning, and I'm going to see if I can do this as succinctly as possible, is actually, as I mapped it out just in my own mind, fourfold. Four reasons. These are not the four sermon points. These are just the four reasons we're going to look at this psalm today. The first reason is simply because several weeks ago, I just began in my own devotional time with the Lord a study. I wanted to see if I could find every reference in the Bible, every verse in the Bible that begins with the word, how blessed is the man who, or blessed is the one who. Who? I've just been coming across it, spending time in the Psalms, and I thought, you know, what does really, what does God's word say a blessed life looks like? And, and so I just began working three or four weeks ago, began, I'm not very far yet, but working my way through all of those references I could find. And very early on, it put me 
right here in Psalm 1. That's exactly how verse 1 began. How blessed is the man, how blessed is the one who, and on the psalm goes from there. And frankly, though I've moved on to some of the other references, I've actually been stuck here for about six weeks right now, just coming back to it, thinking about it over and over again. So just on my own time, I'd landed in Psalm 1. About the same time, secondly, about the same time that that I started that study and got locked into Psalm 1, I began reading a book that my wife gave me. And when I tell you the title, and if you know me well at all, you'll know why she gave it to me. But she gave me a book titled The The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I'm going to be quoting that book a couple, three times today in the sermon, and, and, and that'll give you a flavor, a sense of what it's all about. Then in the midst of all that, the third reason we're here today is because two weeks ago, tomorrow, I just hit a wall. I hit a physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, some conglomeration of the four wall. Just simply put, and maybe you've been there, certainly if, if, uh, if, it, if it had that impact on me in this season, it may be having the, that impact on you, but just the, the stressors and the pressures and just the constant list of decisions to be making and choices to be making that this pandemic has brought on. It just caught up with me. And, and I spent the better part of 36 hours asleep, just trying to recover. In fact, at one point I went home Tuesday afternoon from work and I, just, I went straight to bed and, 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 and several hours later, Beth sent, um, she sent, she didn't want to do it herself. She sent Silas in the room to make sure I wasn't dead because I'd, I'd been asleep for so long. And he's like, why am I, why are you sending me? You go find him. But here I am, I made it, but just out. And then last Wednesday, this past Wednesday, a couple of days ago, I hit another wall, this time just in my study of James. And, and there wasn't an audible voice in my office, and there hasn't been any handwriting on the sanctuary wall, but the Lord made it very clear in, in ways that, that the Lord only can do that James could wait for a week. That, that he'll still be there, that the truths will still be there. And I mean, I just, I, I said to somebody before, I couldn't even come up with a sermon title. I, I just, I, I'd studied it inside and out. I just, God's like, stop, don't go to James. So I spent the better part of the next 24 hours saying, fine, now what? If we're not doing James, what are we supposed to do? And, and while it, it, it might have been the pepperoni and green olive pizza talking, I'm pretty sure that I got the Lord's answer when he said, go to Psalm 1. And in going to Psalm 1, the, the message that I heard, again, I don't hear audible voices, but you know what it's like when God makes himself clear. What he said to me was, share what I'm showing you with the church. Share what I am showing you with the church. So I don't know where this is going to hit you today, but, but God made it clear he wants you to hear it. And if you forgive the parts that are of the flesh and listen to the parts that are of the spirit, maybe we're going to get something valuable out of it today. Because here's the deal. As the world around us gradually reopens, and as you and I, each at our own pace, and that's fine, we begin to gradually re-enter it, try to get back to, to what life was in some way like before. Here's what I believe with all my heart. Listen to me. What I believe with all my heart is many of us, most of us, have a genuine once-in-a-lifetime chance to reorder our lives. I believe we have a chance like most of us have never had before and that most of us will never have again to reevaluate our priorities, to reappraise the things that matter, 
to reorient our lives in a better way. Now listen, nobody's slate is getting wiped totally clean. You are who you are, and you are where you are, and we are doing what we're doing. However, in the spiritual sense, there's an opportunity to hit refresh. And as I've already said a couple of times, just as we've gone through James, but through this season of of pandemic, I really believe, and I just become more convinced of it all the time, that the worst thing any of us could do is go back to business as usual. The goal should not be to get back to life exactly as I knew it. Even if life was great and you were thriving with the Lord, no one should be aiming to get back to business as usual and let this opportunity slip away. That's why we're here in Psalm 1 this morning. That's why we're looking at this instead of James. Because in this psalm, what we are shown, what God himself shows us in these six verses is what a truly blessed life is like. Everybody wants a blessed life. Unbelievers want a blessed life. Everybody wants a blessed life. This tells us, at least gives us the foundation. There's more to find, but this is the essence of what a blessed life is like and the choices we have to make if we want to have it. So, Really, there's a sense in which this morning's sermon, it's part confessional and part urgent plea with an invitation that's going to be wrapped up in at the end to, to ponder and to make a change. But with all that out of the way, as we look at the psalm itself, basically what I want to deliver to you this morning, again, this is what the Lord is showing me. There are four things about the blessed way that we need to know. And I know throughout the sermon, I'm going to go between blessed and blessed. I'm sorry, I couldn't make up my mind which one is right, so take your pick. Four things about the blessed way. The blessed way of a believer who is committed to following Jesus Christ. There are four things this psalm tells us about the truly blessed life. The first one is this, and we're just starting with verse 1 and working our way right on through. It is this. The blessed way begins with no. The blessed way begins with the word no. Did you catch that when we read it the first time? Have you seen that there before? Because verse 1, what it says is that the truly blessed person, man, woman, young person, uh, whether you're 7 years old or 77 years old or wherever you are in the spectrum, anybody, the followers of Christ whose lives are the richest are the ones who have settled, listen to me, what they are not into. What they've said no to. Look at the verse. How blessed is the man who does what? Not everything. Does what not say not does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the path of sinners. How blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. In other words, this is the person who is not A, led by the world's thinking, B, aligned with the world's values, and C, or engaged in the world's ways of doing life. It's all about where you're taking your cues from. And, and something else I want you to know, I didn't know this. I, I hadn't, despite all the time I spent in Psalm 1, actually after church last Sunday, I quoted Psalm 1. Kathy and I, I'm going to put her spot, just mention her for a second. But we were talking about this psalm, and she was talking about how much she likes it. And I was talking about how much I like it. And, and she pointed something out to me I'd never seen before. She said, did you ever notice the progression in verse 1? This is how it works, and it's so subtle. How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. I've just kind of fallen in step with the world, shoulder to shoulder, side by side. But then it says what? Nor stand. 
Now I've paused with the world. I've gone from shoulder to shoulder to eye to eye to face to face to taking it in. And then what's the next step? After I've walked and I've stood, I take a seat and make myself at home. It's so subtle. It's so sneaky. It's so dangerous. Ralph Davis, in his wonderful commentary on the Psalms, very, very earthy, very engaging read, he tells the story of a woman, elderly woman, who on her 104th birthday, she was asked, what's the best part about being 104 years old? You know what she said? No peer pressure. <laughs> Nobody trying to convince me to do what I know I shouldn't do. And that must be wonderful, but that is not a luxury the rest of us have. We live in the world. We live among the world. And as such, we must wake up to the fact that since the psalmist, listen to me, the psalmist opens the entire Bible handbook on worship, 150 psalms for every season of life, the entire handbook of how to worship, how to pray, how to seek God, how to repent, how to lament, all of it, all of it begins with no. Decide what you're not going to be into. Why? Because. It's very simple. Where you hang determines who you'll become. It's just that simple. And you can debate it, you can argue it, you can push back against it, but it's the truth. Where you hang, the people with whom you hang, the places you go with them, the way you absorb, the information you absorb, it, it determines who you'll become. And the psalmist knows it. And, and so it demands choices. And, and while I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, well, maybe I do, actually, let me just give you the facts of life as simply as I can put them, at least in this vein. Number one, you can't have it all. Number two, you can't do it all. I don't care what every commencement speaker in the world is telling you. You can't do it all. You can't have it all, and you can't do it all. Therefore, point A, point B, conclusion is this. What you're pursuing better be worth it. What you're living for better be worth it. And the psalmist again says that the blessed way, the blessed life starts by deciding what you will say no to so that you can say yes to the things that matter. First thing we need to see about the blessed way is it begins with no. Second, the blessed way, according to verse 2, once we've decided what we say no to, we can realize and embrace the fact that the blessed way, secondly, is lived with God. Preposition is important. It is not lived for God, not under God, with God. The blessed way is lived with God. You know what it's like when you've got like something big, something special coming up? And we all define big in a different way, especially a different way. But, but you've got something coming, out, coming up. You know, maybe tomorrow morning you're leaving on vacation. Uh, maybe tonight there's a really big game you've been looking forward to. Maybe you're just going out to dinner, right, for the first time in forever. And, and you're so looking forward to the vacation, to the ball game, to the concert, to the dinner, that you just, uh, while ostensibly you're at your desk working all day long, you're really just thinking about it, right? And, 
And you, you find yourself so sort of infatuated with what's coming up that, that maybe at moments you even find yourself just talking to yourself about it. You're like, Clearwater Beach. Can't wait to put my feet in the sand, to get in the car, to jump in the plane and go to Florida. I'm excited. Or you find yourself muttering about game seven. There aren't many game sevens, but when game seven comes up, you know where you'll find me? Just talking to myself. Tacos. Just thinking about tacos. Talking to yourself about tacos all day long. That's exactly the psalmist's idea in verse 2. When he says this, look at verse 2. But his, her, the blessed one's delight is in the law of the Lord. And in God's law, he, everybody say, meditates. Meditates day and night. You see, the word meditate in Hebrew, it means to murmur. It means to talk, it's self-talk. It means to mutter. Just to yourself all day long. In the context of God's word, I suppose you'd mix all kinds of metaphors up. It's like a dog with a bone. Man, you get a hold of a promise from God's word. You're, you're having your devotions, you have early morning Bible study or prayer time, and something in there just leaps off the page at you. And, and I know this sounds unusual. This is what I think the psalmist is saying should actually be normal in our lives, but you get a hold of the promise, you get a hold of the truth, and you just chewing on it all day long, sort of ruminating about what it means and why it matters. It's not an emptying of your mind. The world says that meditation is to empty your mind, right? That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is filling your mind, focused filling of your mind with the truths of God's word, with the promises of God's word. And the psalmist says in verse 2 that that kind of meditation Maybe not right away, but it becomes a delight. It becomes something we look forward to. Why? Because rather than getting a five-minute Bible fix on your way out the door while you're eating breakfast and yelling at the kids and checking your phone, you've, you've dedicated time to God. You are aiming to, to live with God all day long, chewing on his word, offering up prayers, thanking him for blessings big and small, seeing opportunities to just shine a little bit of his light. If you want to get it down to a word, what he's talking about is a life that is preoccupied with God. You get other stuff done. You give your attention to people and tasks, and you put in your, your solid eight, ten hours a day at work or school or whatever it is you're doing, but, but the preoccupation, the muttering, the murmuring is always coming back to the Lord. That, he says, is a blessed life. But can, can I just be honest with you for a moment? It ain't easy. It's the blessed life, but it's not an easy life. It's not an easy choice, if I may be so bold, especially in the lives most of us were living pre-pandemic. This is not the natural way to live. This is not automatic you know what I learned this? <laughs> you know what I learned this week that makes it harder still. This is great. I learned that the the average goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. <laughs> you know what else I learned? The average American has an attention span of eight seconds. We're losing to goldfish. We don't pay attention. 
all the time. All the time. And that's why, this is why I'm saying to you, as the world reopens, as, as you think about re-entering, I'm pleading with you, before you go back to business as usual, settle this matter. Will Jesus be your traveling companion? Or is he just an accessory in your tool belt? I'll check in on Sunday, I'll throw up a prayer when I'm late. Is he your traveling companion? Whether or not you're going to genuinely open the Bible and seek him each day until suddenly, all of a sudden, one day you turn around and you're like, hey, I kind of like this. I kind of look forward to this. Anybody who's gotten there will tell you it ain't automatic and it takes time, but it happens. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, they, they meditate day and night. The blessed, the blessed way begins with no. The blessed way is lived with God. And that takes us right into the third. The third and the second here are just, they're, they're so tightly wound together. But it's this, and, and this, I don't know, it's, it's probably of the four points for whatever it's worth, the one that I, I love the most, but also is, is the most challenging, and it's this. Verse 3 tells us that the blessed way is slow. Everybody say slow. Say it slow. There you go. The blessed way is slow. You know, someday I'm going to do a, when I finish my how blessed study, my plan is at some point, and maybe it'll become a sermon series someday, but I just want to study the tree imagery in Scripture, okay? Because if you, if you pay attention to the Bible, the tree imagery is everywhere. The Bible begins at a tree, right? The story of, of, of man begins at a tree. Sin is paid for on a tree. And then you go to Revelation to the the moment it transitions from time into eternity, and the picture that is painted for us in heaven is this glorious tree. God's into trees. They're everywhere in the Scripture. And, and it's also, you may have noticed, right here in the heart of Psalm 1, when it says this, that whoever aligns their life with verses 1 and 2, who knows what to say no to, who is, who is striving, who is aiming to live with God, here's the kind of person they will be. He, she, they, look at verse 3, will be like a what? A tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. I don't know anything about trees, okay? I can't tell one from another. Neil and I were talking trees the other day. He was at my at my house, in my yard, because I got trees I want to go. And he's like, that one is this, and that one's that, and I had no idea. I don't know the first thing about trees, but I do know this. I know that whatever variety of tree is, it's apple, it's maple, it's a pine tree, it's a palm tree. I know all trees have one thing in common. They grow slowly. Roots go down slowly. Trunks rise from the earth slowly. The branches spread out slowly. Leaves, blossoms, fruit, they arrive slowly. You never see it happen, but it happens, right? It's always happening, but it's happening slowly. And it can't be rushed, period. There's nothing you can do, as far as I know, to accelerate it and, and get the same result. And what the psalmist is telling us here is that the same goes for the blessed Christian life. 
The blessed way is slow. So let me ask you another question as a follower of Jesus. Do you want to be strong? Do you want to grow up? Do you want to branch out and bear fruit? Do you want to be a blessing? Here's something else I've observed about trees. A tree's entire existence is to give. The only thing it does, the only thing it takes is enough to keep giving, to give shade, to give fruit, to give pleasure to the eyes. A tree just exists to give. Sounds like a pretty good metaphor for the Christian life. Is that the kind of life you want? As a follower of Jesus, strong, mature, persevering, fruit-bearing, then once again, let's talk. You have to make time for your Bible. You cannot live on these 40 minutes a week and be strong. You must make time to read your Bible. You must fully aim to engage in regular corporate worship. You need to practice fully committing your mind and heart to prayer, to thinking about what you're talking with the Lord about, to to respond with your heart in confession or in praise. And and even, yeah, here's, here's the toughest one for all of us, I think, to Sabbath. I'm not being legalistic, I'm just saying to rest. These are the essentials. They always have been to a fruitful Christian life. And here's what I've learned about all these things. They can't be rushed either, period. There are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. It is a practice. Think about it. Especially on this theme of just learning how to to be still with the Lord for some time each day and, and for longer periods each week. Would you agree with me when I say that no one's changed the course of human history more than Jesus? Yeah. Even unbelievers know that. They may not like him. They may not believe him, but they know nobody's had a greater impact on the course of all human history than Jesus. He did it in three years taking one of every seven days completely off. And on the six days that he was working, he spent, it appears, vast amounts of time, not outdoing, but alone praying. Or with his disciples, praying. And then he went and did some stuff. I'm not being tried about it. He just went and did some stuff and changed the world. By the way, to top it all off, everywhere he went, he walked. I, I, I can only think of two times that, I, that, that we read of Jesus not walking. One is in his mother's womb on the way to Bethlehem, and the other is on the way into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He walked. Do you ever see Jesus in a hurry? There are times he deliberately delayed just to make a point. The way of Jesus is slow. It is not rushed. It is not frantic. It was never hectic. In that book I mentioned to you that I've been reading, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer, he tells a story, true as best as he is able to, uh, to find out. And it's a story from the age of, of 
European colonialism, not a great time in history, but when, when the, the nations of Europe were rushing to Africa to claim as much of it for themselves as possible, and they're colonizing this part and that part because they want the resources. And all, I mean, I'm not going into history lesson here, but, but it's from that age. Well, in the midst of all of that, there was a, a wealthy Englishman, a man from Great Britain, who decided he had the time and the means he wanted to go see the jungle. Thought that'd be really cool. So he got on a ship, sailed to Africa, and upon arriving in Africa... He hired a, a group of, of several locals, native Africans, to take him to the jungle. They were going to carry his stuff. They were going to chart the path. They knew where they were going. And so he hired them. And, 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 and the first morning, they got up, and they trekked all day, as hard as they could, rigorous travel, all on foot, rough terrain. And then they, they settled down for the night, a really restless, kind of rotten night's sleep. That's day one. Well, the second morning, this British traveler, he wakes up in typical, you know, Western fashion early, dresses himself, gets ready to go. He's like, we're going somewhere. Let's go to the jungle. Let's keep moving. And, and, and try as he might, he could not get his native guides to move. They wouldn't get out of bed. They would not respond he tried everything. He begged them. He bribed them. He persuaded them, probably threatened them. That's what I'm paying you to do to get me to the jungle. And finally, he did what he, what he should have done right at the beginning. In complete exasperation, he said, what's the problem? Give me an, an explanation. Here was their answer. I want you to think about this. We are waiting for our souls to catch up to our bodies. Man, I love that. We're waiting for our souls to catch up to our bodies. When is the last time you did that? In the presence of God. Rested. Maybe it involved a nap, maybe it didn't. It probably didn't happen on vacation. Most of us come home from vacation, needing a vacation from vacation. When's the last time you just let your soul, your spirit, catch up with your body? Blessed way of Jesus is slow. It's the way he got things done. Who told us we know better? And it's the very antithesis of business as usual. That's the choice Psalm 1 sets before us if we want to be those who are going to be like trees firmly planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season, leaves not withering. And by God's design in whatever we do, finding a way to prosper. The blessed way begins with no. The blessed way is lived with God. The blessed way is slow. And then finally, just to summarize the last three verses in one final point, the blessed way ends well. The blessed way ends well. You know, like most, um, I don't know if most, lots of sports fans, we've had nothing to watch like for 10 weeks now. It's hard. <laughs> so most of us have been doing, watching the one thing that has been on, and that's the last dance. And we know what I'm talking about, the last dance. Nobody, one person knows what I'm talking about, two people. So there's a, uh, ESPN is doing a 10-part series on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls and their final championship run, how they, they got, you know, they got one more title before the team was, was broken up. And everybody's got their take on it, so I'm going to give you mine. I'm Nine episodes in, I'm not quite done yet, but I think that's a pretty fair sample size. 
Because I've watched it, it's brought back a lot of good memories, a lot of fun times watching ball games, all that kind of stuff. But, but what has been most evident to me, in fact, it's, it's, it's been, I shouldn't be astonished by it, but I have been, is, is the fact that these men who are being interviewed, this team, coaches, executives, who have achieved more worldly success, not just in, in basketball, but in life than most people will ever know. More money, more fame, more access, more privilege, more indulgence. They've gotten everything the world describes as success. All I see when I watch the interviews is unhappiness. And I'm not trying to be super spiritual. It's all I see. He said, this is 25 years ago. And, and every interview is marked by pettiness and bitterness and, 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 and sort of self, I don't know, protection or promotion about, I did this and I know it was wrong, but, but it had to be done. Uh, there are one or two exceptions, but, but most of the interviews, I mean, these guys are holding grudges 30 years later because somebody, literally, at one point, somebody passed by them without speaking in the restaurant who was on the other team, and they hate them to this day because of it. I already, I, it's so hard to watch. It's so hard to see. And the question that keeps coming to mind as I watch it is, was it worth it? Maybe Jesus was right when he said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I think he was right. I hope they didn't ruin it for those of you who haven't seen all of it yet, but it's my take. And the psalmist asks the same question, so to speak, in verse 4. In contrast to the blessed life, he says, the, the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff. That's husks of wheat. The grain is pulled out. The chaff is the leftovers. It's the stuff blowing around the field in November that the wind drives away. Nobody wants it because nobody needs it. Whereas, he says in verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That sounds innocent enough, bland enough. You know what it means? It means that as a believer, the Lord watches and he is with you and he is intimately acquainted with you in every imaginable way. He cares about you. The knowledge of God being spoken of here, one, one source says, is, is a deep commitment to a deep love for and a deep care of his own. Listen to me, it's not just that God knows what you're going through. It's not just that, that he knows what following him costs you, because it costs. He's in it with you. The Bible says he goes before you. The Bible says he is your rear guard, he comes behind you. Better than that, it says the Holy Spirit dwells within you. What more could we want? What more could we need? He's with us. And guess what? He's going to get you home. He's going to get you home. And so what the psalmist is implying in the last three verses is he's saying, take a very good look at the road you are on and just play it out. Where does it lead? Where does it lead? Will you be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water? Is it leading toward maturity? Not perfection, maturity. Is it leading you in the direction of hope? 
and of joy and of kindness and forgiveness? Or is it leading you to a divorce or to depression, to bitterness? What good is it if you get everything you want and you have a dry and empty soul? blessed way ends well. The blessed way ends well. There's a saying, I guess, I don't operate in the business world, but John Mark Comer tells me there's a saying in the business world, think about this, that goes, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. In other words, the reason you're getting what you're getting is because you're doing what you're doing. And if you keep doing what you're doing, you're getting what you're getting. It's perfectly designed to get exactly what you're getting all day long. You nailed it, and so did I. Same goes for us. It's not just the business world, that's life. Your life is perfectly designed to get what you're getting. It's perfectly designed to feel what you're feeling. It's perfectly. You are living the perfect life for the fruit that it is producing. It's just a fact. And that may be a good thing and it may be a bad thing. But here's what I want to ask you as we close. In view of what we've just seen here in Psalm 1, what is your life producing? What's your system producing? What's my system producing? Is it what you want? Is it what God wants? <laughs> is it sustainable? I mean, can you do it for another year? And is it worth it? I'm asking because, as I said when we began, many of us, and I'm just going to go ahead and say all of us, have a golden opportunity to push the reset button today. Most of us desperately need to do so. You don't have to go back to business as usual. You don't have to say yes to everything you said yes to before. You don't have to live to please that person or achieve all those goals. It's a golden opportunity, but here's what it also is. It's a fleeting opportunity. It's, it's, it's almost scaring me how quickly we're going to go back to it. We can go back to it. So here's what I want you to ask yourself. These aren't on the screen. If you want to write them down, I promise. I'm doing this and then I'm done. But, but based on the four truths that we drew out of the Psalms, I have four questions. This is self Diagnostic time. Number one, is there anything I must say no to? I don't want to, perhaps, but I must. But they'll be mad at me. Fine. Let them be mad. That's not your problem. I mean, don't, don't be flippant, but if there's something you've got to say no to, say no to it. Second, is being with Christ my top priority? I don't, I'm not asking, do you want it to be? Is it? Show me your schedule and I'll show you what you value. Look at your schedule, you'll see what you value. Is it your top priority? Third, does my pace of life leave room to grow? Is there margin? Again, is Jesus an accessory on my tool belt or is he my, <laughs> my all in all? And as I asked a moment ago, am I clear, fourthly, am I clear on where my path is leading?
Do I realize where it's headed? Because today's big ideas, I think it's pretty simple, and yet it's incredibly profound in terms of what Psalm 1 is saying. Following Jesus is a way of life. Following Jesus is our way of life, to be our way of life. And in order to flourish, there's your connection with James. In order to flourish, it, it takes my all. And the Bible says it's worth it. It's worth it. I want to invite you just to bow your heads where you are, here or at home. I want you to stop thinking about anybody else, anything else. We're going to close in what I just think. And again, Matt picked out all today's songs before I made this change, but I think that the great hymn of faith we're going to close with is, is perfect. But what are you supposed to do with this? Not, what, not with what I'm saying, but what with the, the Spirit of God. That's, if you're feeling something, I'm pretty sure that's what you're feeling right now. What the Spirit of God is saying to your heart. And um, <laughs> if we can't circle up and pray. We can't say, come to the front and huddle up together. I'd, I'd like to be able to do that today. So you're just going to have to be okay with doing business with God in your heart where you're sitting right now. And I'm not trying to persuade you of anything. I'm just saying, what does God want you to do? And are you going to do it? I would ask in lieu of being able to come to the front or circle up to pray with your neighbor that you would write it down. It's okay to open your eyes while I'm praying. You can write it down and just say, just put it in ink. Here's what God wants me to do and with his help and maybe the prayers and the confidence of a couple of close friends, I'm going to do it. Please don't let the opportunity slide by and let life roll right back over you again. This is your chance. This is our chance to begin again. Heavenly Father, the song we sang before the message is, is also so appropriate. Lord, I need you. I need you. Every hour I need you. Um, that's the cry. But, but Lord, it, it, it's supposed to, it ought to lead us to a response, to an action. Father, some of us today, we need to come to you and repent. Not just of living over busy lives, but of living effectively Christ-less lives. We are pursuing and pursuing and pursuing, and we are bears to live with because of it. Or we look at ourselves and we're frustrated. Just live in a state of perpetual frustration. Father, help us to discern the wheat from the chaff, the, the fruit from dead foliage. 
the way of life and blessing from the way that leads to a dry and, and weary soul. Father, your word says that, that among us as believers, even when the day of, of arriving in heaven, and we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we stand before you that, Father, our, our works, our lives will be tested. All of us who have believed will come into heaven. And, and we won't be disappointed, Father, but, but our lives will be shown for what they really accomplished. You say it, Lord, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. You know what we want. Thank you, God, for giving us this golden opportunity to push restart. Father, don't let it be a cliche. Let it be reality. Father, we really do need you. We want you to be our vision. We want you to be the one who rules over our lives, who walks with us, who we choose to walk with each day. Father, would you make, if, if this church accomplishes nothing else in the years to come, would you make those of us who enter its doors and call it home like trees firmly planted by streams of water, who bear fruit in season, whose leaves don't wither. And Father, even in the weirdest of times, for your sake we prosper. God, please take the things of truth addressed here today and bind them up in our hearts and let all the rest be forgotten for Jesus' sake. Amen.